the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast whose explosions are certified, Michael Bay approved. I'm Addicted, and with me as always is... Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru. And as mentioned, RF Generation is where we are hosted, and that's where you want to go, rfgeneration.com. Become a part of our community, it is free to sign up. And we've got a lot of great resources there. We've got a huge database where you can catalog your games and forums where we have good discussions and topics. And of course, that leads into the Shmup Club, where you can come and join us for a playthrough and discuss the game, post your high score and screenshots, and uh, also have discussions about other games, not to mention the other regular playthrough that happens there and the other podcasts that are affiliated with the site plus we have articles on the front page and an active discord server and again it's all free to use and free to sign up at rfgeneration.com okay so for the month of february 2021 we played under defeat um, but before we jump into discussion on the game, I threw out a question of the month, and we got some pretty good response on that. Uh, so, Under Defeat offers two different control styles. Uh, so when a game offers multiple control op- options, do you stick with the default, or try another, and why? And right out of the gate, we had at Bulo Studio... Uh, who incidentally is making an STG creator uh, software, so be watching for that, Uh, says, stick with default, because I assume devs gave a lot of thought about it. And yeah, I think that's uh, pretty solid reasoning there. Our next one comes to us from at need new shorts. I pretty much always stick with default. I'm lazy. If the default is good, that is. If I'm able to change it to having the fire button on the trigger, I will. That seems to be a, a thing that more people are doing uh, that I've heard from others of putting the fire button on the trigger. I haven't done that a lot, but that's an interesting development. And I, don't, I wonder how much of that comes from schmuck players who also play console FPS games or if it's just that they find it comfortable. So next we've got at Moomoo Town who says, also consider when it's a console versus arcade difference. A good example being Radiant Silver Gun. The arcade only has three buttons, so you use combinations for the weapons. On Saturn, you can have a button per weapon, which is debatably better. Uh, yeah, I, I've thought about that, because you kind of have a, a similar thing with uh, Radiant Silver Gun on the 360 port, which I believe uses the four face buttons and then the shoulder buttons, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I fired it up. So, yeah, obviously 
when a game right out of the gate gives you those kinds of options, they're great. I guess I'm more thinking of, you know, because of the way that Under Defeat offers you two distinct options right up front to choose from, it's a question of, do you, do you stick with the, whatever the default is, or do you try the other one? Uh, but I can see what Moo Town is saying here. You know, I think it's good to sort of think about, like Bulo Studio said, obviously developers have thought about how they want their game to be played, or they've considered what the options are. And so they probably kind of go with, they probably make something that's default because they think that might be the most logical or the most uh, intuitive way to do it. And then they offer other options for those who either need or want some level of accessibility or just like to try other control schemes. Our next one comes to us from at CollectorCast. The first thing I do in any game is to go into the options menu. If there are control options, I poke around to be sure things make sense to me. Choices are great. Yeah, I have to say I'm the same way. I will just start messing with stuff on there and try different things. You know, I am decided to try out the twin stick in Under Defeat HD, and I think it, in my, well, in my personal opinion, it adds a lot to the game and is definitely a great choice. Anytime you can try and find something that fits your play style, I think is a boon, and you console ports definitely do a lot better than w when you've got something or you're dealing with an arcade game and rem everyone remembers the uh, Street Fighter with the pressurized buttons and how that was changed from Street Fighter 2 to light, medium and fierce and boy did that make a world of difference mm, right uh, at Easy Racer uh, says controls are so important Controls are so important to good gameplay. Usually I'll try a few different options if offered, find the one I'm most comfortable with, and stick with it as I progress through the game. Yeah, it's, as we talk, talked about a little bit earlier, it's just all about what makes sense to you and giving people options the way that they have. In, in a game, it's not so much that you're going to be dealing with consequences as it allows people to do new and interesting things that you hadn't thought of. And I, I think that's part of the fun of the game, it, is people trying different things. Take, for example, people playing Soul Calibur 2 with a fishing controller. Is it intuitive? <laughs> Heck no. Is it maybe even logically make any bit of sense? Probably not. <laughs> but it's a fun challenge and something fun to do and something that I'm certain the developers of the game never, ever thought of. So it's good to give the player choice and options on here, especially when there's not going to be any consequences. Because there are so many different ways that people can play. and playing. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many different variations of controllers, right? It's, it's freedom of expression. For some people, it's a necessity. Because they have to have stuff like where... What, I forget what the name... The hands-free controller right, just came to me for the Nintendo. And the way oh. that they can play by blowing into it, right? Sometimes necessity. There, there are, there's almost no wrong way to play, even if, even if it's a power glove. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> so our next one comes to us from at Accursi, sorry, Accursi. 
try all the options and under defeat for example reverse is way easier for me Bangayo also has a terrible default control layout but the much superior ABXY which is a manual itself suggests controls very well yeah I think that it's always good to try and the reverse is what I saw in the STG weekly replay that people seem to like it, the another way of thinking about this is in the early 2000s it seemed like everything including halo combat evolved was asking you about would you like your regular controls or would you want inverse i mean it used to be in the realm of flight simulators that people would get confused i'm pressing down and going up and up is down but it really took prevalence where inverse inverse controls were the standard of the day and it just sort of changed until recent shooters uh, like say modern shooters and like Call of Duty and such where, where that was changed yeah that makes sense uh, at Chris versus Retro says I usually try to get uh, I usually try to get used to the default controls in any game unless they are super awkward and like designed for an alien octopus or something reminds <laughs> me uh, controls in Octodad there <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes. But, uh, I have to say, and we'll get into a little bit why, but uh, within Under Defeat, I tried to do the reverse controls, and it just didn't make sense to me. I went with the regular controls for that. It felt more natural, but then I tried the Under Defeat HD controls, and having it turn into a twin sticks shooter just felt extremely natural. Hmm. I don't know if you tried that, Fro, but we'll get into that in a little bit once we're done here. Yeah. Our next one comes to us from at Pony Tatsujin. When it comes to default control styles, I try to find the one that's most comfortable for me. Usually it's the default or a different variant. Oftentimes it's the default I use, get used to the quickest. And I definitely agree with this too on here. I, I will try the default and then I'll try the, the different variations. In fact, once I but if I've already played the game for, let's say, a good hour or two, it, the default just seems to start to flow naturally, regardless if there's a better way. Yeah, I guess for me it depends on the game. If I've taken time to read the manual ahead of time, and I kind of know what I'm getting into, then a lot of times I'll pick whichever control scheme sounds like it would be I guess the most compatible for me. If I have no experience with it or no manual or what have you, then a lot of times I'll try the default controls, see if I get along with them okay. And then if I do, then I'll continue with that. Or if I feel like, wow, this is not gelling, then sometimes I'll go back in and, and try a different control scheme to see if something else will, will click. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was kind of, I'm kind of with need new shorts in that I'm a bit lazy in that regard. I tend to just kind of go with the, the default control scheme. And then if something doesn't feel right or doesn't click with me, then I'll make the effort to go back and try something different. But I generally don't go with something else uh, unless it, it seems like it's not something that's going to gel with me. Under Defeat, and we'll get into this as we go along, Under Defeat is sort of the exception to the rule with that. Because I sort of looked at the control schemes, and I looked at the 
at the deal to see which one might uh, might work better for me, and I went with reverse first, and that ended up being what I played most. Well, we'll get into that as we talk about the game. So, thank you to everyone who contributed uh, responses here. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, tweeting at us with these and um, you know sharing your thoughts with us. So let's dive in now. Under Defeat was developed by G-Rev, or G-Revolution, as it's also known, and uh, published by Sega in Japanese arcades in 2005. As far as I'm aware, this has not been made available outside of Japan uh, in terms of arcades, so I never saw this in the West, uh, and I don't know if it ever officially got a release in the West. But uh, G-Rev was founded by former title staff who had worked on games like Raystorm and G-Darius, uh, and they actually formed G-Rev specifically with the purpose of developing shooting games. Uh, but of course, when they started, you know, it was uh, it was late enough that in you know in terms of what was it like the early to mid two thousands that they kind of started up, or it was, I guess it was the early 2000s. They knew that they weren't going to be able to just develop their own games right out of the gate and, you know, have revenue. So they did some contract work uh, and actually did uh, development for Taito and for Treasure. And so they apparently did some work on Ikaruga. What level of work is up for debate. Um, the information I was reading was not clear on that. Uh, but then that somehow apparently led to them working alongside Treasure to develop Gradius V for Konami, which of course came out on the PS2. And um, I would say that that was a fairly successful game in terms of, of at least its design and implementation. The first independent arcade game that they developed was called Doki Doki Idol Star Seeker. And that came out on the the Naomi platform, which is, of course, Sega's uh, Dreamcast-era hardware for the arcade. Um, and they, they sort of, based on what I read, they sort of did that with the express purpose of being something that would not cost them much to develop, but then hopefully have a high return so that they could build some capital. And then they went on to develop Border Down, which was their first shoot-em-up that they sort of did as a spiritual successor to Metal Black. Uh, the arcade version for that came out in April of 2003, and then a few months later the Dreamcast version was released. Other notable G-Rev releases are Senko no Ronde, uh, which saw an ex... Uh, well, let's see here. Yeah, Senko no Ronde... Uh, Mamoru-kun Curse, uh, which later came to uh, 360 and PS3, uh, or was it just PS3? Might have been just PS3. Uh, they did Strania, which was an Xbox 360 title. Uh, that was digital only. And then they did the Wartech Senko no Rande on 360. And notably, they also developed the Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors game that we have on PS4 and PC. 
not the same as the forthcoming, uh, or yeah, the forthcoming, uh, well, God it's out digitally now, but the, the physical that we're going to get at some point, the Dar- Darius Burst, uh, arcade version, um, or what is it? Another Chronicle, I think it's called, uh, that will be on the Darius Cosmic Revelation collection. But I thought that was interesting that they that they actually worked on uh, Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors. They always wanted some too soon. Tuna Sashimi. <laughs> right. Uh, so then the Dreamcast version of Under Defeat. Well, under De- yeah, un- Dreamcast version of Under Defeat came out in March 2006, and there was uh, a standard edition and then a special edition. Both came in a DVD-style case instead of the usual jewel case uh, that Dreamcast games came in. Uh, and the special edition came with a, an arranged soundtrack CD. I also saw some information on the Shmups forum that mentioned uh, in 2011 that there was an Insanity DVD uh, called Soldier of Fortune Under Defeat. Um, and of course, the Insanity DVD series are, are Super Play DVDs. That I would be interested to see. Uh, I bet that's a fun watch. Uh, and then later on, we got an updated version, uh, Under Defeat HD, which came out in 2012. Uh, it came out to the, the Xbox 360 in Japan physically. Now, the information I found online said that it also hit the 360 digitally in the West, but I did not confirm that. I wasn't sure if you knew whether or not that was that was the case. You know, I have heard that as well. I need to verify that. But uh, it's... I know that PS3... Well, here, let me... Do, why don't we just... Oh, looks like it, looks like it is. It's on the Xbox yeah. Marketplace. There you go. Get it before it disappears. Yeah. So part of me kind of wishes I would have bought that because I have the PS3 version, of course. Uh, That was published by uh, Rising Star Games, and that actually came with a bonus soundtrack CD as well. But the PS3 version also comes with Slowdown. (laughs) Yes. uh, Bonus Slowdown. So if you don't want that DLC, you won't get that with the Xbox 360 version. Right. Uh, and then Under Defeat HD Plus, uh, or HD Plus, was released in arcade. So they backported Under Defeat HD to uh, the Taito Ring Edge 2 platform. Well, you already mentioned STG Weekly. That was actually among the first games that they covered, because it was in episode 15 uh, back in 2013, and featured Iconoclast, who I know Mark featured on his podcast somewhat early on discussing uh, the Katsui Destiny mode. He comes close to two all. Oh, uh, in the run? Yeah, he comes close to two all but doesn't make it. Just like the uh, audio quality uh, sort of cuts <laughs> cuts out through there. So early days for SDG Workly. I love the show and but it it definitely was in its growing pains much like we were a couple of years ago with the podcast. Sure. But, yeah, basically, if you're looking for the best version of Under Defeat HD, it's going to be on the Xbox 360. Right. Yeah. And they had to redrew, redrew, uh, sorry, redo all of the graphics 
for the HD version, they had to make them all polygons, which was very time intensive. And I think that's also why you see a lot of the slowdown when you get a lot of the smoke effects within the PS3 version, especially if you're doing Tate mode. Right. But I, I've also heard that the Xbox 360 version has DLC ships, which I haven't seen on the PS3 version. Maybe I just missed them. But according to SDG Weekly, they're not good for scoring because they destroy the ships too fast. Oh, okay. Interesting. And the other thing which we should keep in mind with the HD, or another difference between the HD and the regular edition, is the HD version comes with four ships to choose from versus the two ships of the original arcade or Dreamcaster. And to be fair, the two ships in the arcade and Dreamcast are just different colors. They're palette swapped. Okay. Where the, yeah, where the HD version, you get one, one ship that is similar to a ship that you face in the fourth one. It looks like a small version of the boss from the first boss from the first stage. Oh. And that that, that can fire, but it is, aside from getting the standard upgrades and having the option, it can also fire out missiles, which makes the game a lot easier than your normal playthroughs. Huh. And then one of them, it doesn't have an option at all. So it makes the game a lot harder. It's definitely worth playing around with the option, and you'd be forgiven of with not even noticing them because it's a little bit buried within the menus on the HD version. And yeah. And I guess we can get into that as we go along because I, I never found that or never sought it out. So when I was playing through, I was just kind of using the default, uh, chopper. Yeah, and the default, and as I said earlier, it's buried within a couple menus deep. So it's not something that's immediately apparent. That's one of the things I wish they had taken the time to make a little bit more intuitive with the Rising Star release or the HD version is to make the menus, give them like the M2 treatment, make it so that things are self-evident and I'm not digging through text menus or, or, or I guess it felt in some ways of when you were installing DOS games and you're trying to have to go through and configure the music. It's asking, do you want what IRQ port do you want? <laughs> what what DMA? It felt more like I was dealing with that, right. trying to find this stuff, than just going, "Hey, look, here's an, here are the four ships you can choose from." Yeah. Well, let's let's get into, I guess, talking about the gameplay itself. Under Defeat is a vertical game or a Tate shmup. Um, you basically are piloting an Apache style helicopter. Uh, in a kind of quasi-alternate reality World War II kind of scenario. And yeah, your sorry, your protagonist is speaks. Your protagonists speak German. We're fighting enemies with Japanese names who speak English. Yeah, it's kind of a goofy a goofy setup, and you know the the PS3 manual gives a very basic story presentation. And even though you see pictures of the two pilots who are your protagonists in the game uh, in different spots, I don't know that the names are ever revealed. They're certainly not in the PS3 manual, and I haven't seen reference to them anywhere else. 
No, I there, there was definitely a name to it, and I think that uh, SDG Weekly, they name them. I don't remember the full names. Maybe I have... Oh, uh, here we go. The gray-haired lady is Wilhelm Bueller or something similar to that. I Please forgive me for my pronunciation. And Bueller? the pink-haired lady... Yeah, Bueller. <laughs> Indeed. And the pink-haired lady is... Uh, Adela or Della Friedrich. So uh, again, very German names for this. It, it's they are definitely there, but it's not very apparent. You know, it's it's not as very, also not as very memorable as like Big Core or something you have from the Gradius series, or or even you know fl- Flying Fish. <laughs> it, it it's not something that it strikes out with the names on there. And honestly, it's just a setup for this, right? It's not something that. Uh, you, you you come to under defeat for the explosions and for destroying stuff and, and for the gameplay. You don't come to it because you're dealing with Tex Maxim or a grand eyes uh, uh, space opera, right? Yeah, and and it's kind of weird because it's supposed to be a sort of alternate reality World War II kind of scenario, but some of the some of the weaponry in the game is obviously. Uh, you know, embellishments on certain things, and you didn't have you didn't have tanks with giant banks of rockets on the back, or or you know those kinds of things. So, at the same time, though, I find it more grounded and more realistic than some of this funnier stuff. Like we played, uh, what was that Taito game that we played? Weeks ago, one with that was on the uh, collection two. I'm oh, to think of Grid it. Seeker! Grid Seeker! Grid Seeker felt very cartoonish compared to where there was that submarine that just kept enlarging each time it would bring out more guns. <laughs> right. it felt like like Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam, where they keep blowing out pistols, and then you get to the <laughs> where one's got a cannon. That's what Grid Seeker felt like. It was very cartoonish. This feels a lot more grounded. Right, and it feels almost like a spiritual sequel, you know, coming from X Taito, where like uh, Tiger Heli, sure, or Twin Cobra. This is what it feels like. It feels like a modern take on that. Yeah, and I, I th- that it's very grounded in. It's very survival based, right? A lot of your scoring on your scoring system. There's no routing or something you're going to get with your Damaku type games. It's going to be what's good for survival is good for scoring. You're not going to get a lot of variation on this. Sure. Uh, Well, and when we get into scoring, I'll push back on that just a little bit. But, but I I think in general, you're, you're not too far off the mark. Now, in terms of control, this is a real basic game, at least from, from, uh, uh, in terms of your buttons, because it's just two buttons. You know, in a, on an arcade panel, your A button would be your your primary fire, and you have auto fire with that. And then it also activates your secondary weapon, which you have a meter for. And so, if your meter is fully charged, you activate your secondary weapon. And then your your B button uh, drops your screen clearing bomb. I have to say that on the Dreamcast, I. I really like the way that this controls, but man, that Dreamcast controller, it has not aged well. 
there I can see why people are going for third-party controllers on this I was trying to use the d-pad to maneuver the helicopter on this is just painful literally painful on my thumb after a while yeah and that's one of the things that makes me think that I need to uh, prioritize putting together uh, you know a custom stick I mean DJ Psycho M1 graciously sent me a Brook retro board and um, so I, I need to look into what it's going to take and the parts that I need in order to put something together because there are some good shmups on the Dreamcast and this is this is one that I would definitely want to think about going back to but playing with a stick would be a lot better oh, sure. I think than, yeah. than the standard uh, Dreamcast controller. Yeah, either arcade controller or you're dealing with a modern quality of life improvement like the Retro Fighters. Sure. Dreamcast controller. But if you try using the default Dreamcast controller, just make sure to uh, put some padding between your thumb <laughs> and the controller. All right. The interesting thing that I, I like that changes up the controls is the HD version allows you to use the second analog stick on the PS3 controller in order to make it a twin stick shooter and it felt in some ways it felt like cheating but in other ways it felt like a very great improvement and maybe this should have been there all along. i can understand why they didn't do it for their initial release but it added so much to the game in my opinion to make it more playable and just being able to press up or right or left on there or whatever even if you inverse controls it's still a lot easier to move an analog stick around than it is to sort of sort of swing into motion and then hold down a button. Yeah. I, I still enjoy the original controls. I just think that the updated controls seemed such a great quality of life improvement. Yeah, that's one of those things where I didn't really... I, I didn't try it during the course of the month because I spent most of my time with the Dreamcast version. And then I went when I went to stream the the PS3 version, I realized I don't have uh, any of my standard PS3 controllers charged. <laughs> so I ended up using my Hori Fighting Commander, which then meant I couldn't try the twin stick piece right away. Uh, so I, I messed around with that a little bit earlier, and I think I could probably wrap my head around that, uh, but it felt a little bit awkward when I started and getting used to the ability to sort of have fine control over that was a little weird. The thing that I didn't care for as much with the twin stick control was that you don't have a fire button, which I understand why they did it that way. So uh, when, you're, when you're holding down or when you're moving the right stick, you're firing. But it feels a little bit weird to let go of the right stick and then tap it, for example, in the direction that you want to fire uh, to then activate your secondary weapon. And I could see you'd really have to get used to that and be able to sort of get some act a level of comfortability with that so that you can be accurate with the with the aiming of your secondary weapon, particularly if you're if you're using the rockets, which we'll, we'll talk about. So I guess that segues nicely into 
into talking about the secondary weapons. Oh, sorry. One, one other thing I want to add here. <clears throat> what I sort of picture is maybe the ultimate arcade control for this. <clears throat> I know that they that they probably use something similar to your standard Sanwa stick and two buttons in the arcade for a sit-down cabinet. But I just had this picture in my mind of something like the uh, Afterburner arcade stick. Oh. Pu- pu- with like two buttons. That would make it seem really like a um, something you couldn't get at home, right? If you were to use a huge arcade stick to swing left or to swing right and then use the button to lock in on it. Or maybe just even, even a, a flight stick like that where you have your button on top for your bombs and then you have your trigger for firing. Yeah. It, it just struck me like it could be a, a really um, a Sega marquee title like you get with Afterburner. Yeah, that sort of uh, that sort of yoke control would make a lot of sense for a game like this, even if it wasn't real analog type of control, but just something that sort of gave you that feeling. Yeah, I, I could see that being a kind of a draw. Yeah, just something that you can't easily replicate at home would make it a good draw. Of course, that could have been more like a Western type thing. I don't think that Japanese players would. <laughs> In, well, at least in my opinion, would have cared too much about it being more realistic. You know, pre- pretending you're uh, flying Airwolf or something like that. Right. Yeah, so as far as the secondary weapons go, this is kind of the the interesting hook of the game uh, from a weapon standpoint. Because, of course, you've got your primary machine gun that shoots from the helicopter, but then you've got three sub-weapons or, or secondary weapons that you can use. Now, when you start the game, you're immediately equipped with the Vulcan. Uh, and so this is a basically a, a rapid-fire gun that you would normally think of with, as a Vulcan. It's low power, but it shoots a lot of bullets. And uh, in this particular instance, uh, it has a... It recharges quickly, and it has a short cooldown period. And so when you start firing the Vulcan, it'll fire, you know, however many volleys until the meter runs out. And then you have a short period of cooldown where you can't use it. And then you'll get a little audible tone letting you know that you can again. So then if you stop firing your main weapon, then the meter will charge back up again. And then you'll get a tone letting you know when it's full so that you can re-engage that. And that's kind of the way that it works with these secondary weapons. The next choice, or the Vulcan, I should say, when you when you destroy a, a helicopter that gives out these um, these secondary weapon icons, the Vulcan is denoted by a sort of yellow a yellow icon that looks like a like a small packet of bullets or whatever. Then you've got the cannon, which is when you get the cycling icon is sort of a green and it looks like like two large shells on top of each other and that's the cannon that is sort of a your mid-range weapon and so it has medium power you know a low shot count you know it only fires off a handful of volleys um, and then it's got kind of a medium recharge and a, and a medium cooldown and so when you when you go and fire the cannon, it'll shoot off. I don't remember how many rounds it is, but you know it's. I think it's two. 
What's that? I think it's two. It no, may be three, but I think it's... Uh... No, it's more than that. It, it's it's more like five or six rounds or something like that okay. before it's before it's done. But yeah, that one, the, the shots are obviously more powerful. Uh, so a lot of targets, bigger targets, you know, it, it might take three, four volleys to take them down, but a lot of times the cannon will be able to take them out much quicker. And then you have the rocket, which is, uh, its icon is just sort of a blue rocket or missile, and that has a slow recharge and a longer cooldown. It's very powerful, and it has a an area of effect that it has, so when you destroy something with the rockets, generally you get an explosion that can damage or destroy nearby targets, but you only get one volley per charge. So... With the rocket, obviously, you have to use that more strategically. Um, so I think the rocket is probably the secondary weapon that has the highest skill ceiling. Uh, because you can't just fire and forget like you can to a lesser degree with the the Vulcan or the cannon. The rocket, you kind of have to be more specific about. The this is the area where the game sort of falls apart a little bit for me. Is ideally the Vulcan should be good for your popcorn enemies. The cannon should be good for, let's say, it doesn't do as much damage, but but it pierces through armor really well or something like that. And then the rocket would just be next next best thing to bombs. But what happens is that you pretty much just want to stick with the rocket for the entire part of the game is once you get used to where you're going to fire this in its pattern, then you can pretty much shrapnel enemies and get an area of effect on everything. Plus, by using the rocket, you get two points, uh, or 2x multiplier on all of your kills. So there really is no point to use a Vulcan because it's too weak, and the cannon, while it's sort of in between, it's not bad, it's just not nearly as effective or useful as a rocket. And... I, I just wish that there was a little bit more balancing done with this. Hmm. Okay. And what's interesting with this is that they did consider this a little bit in the uh, arrange mode that's on HD, the vertizontal mode. The cannon is actually beefed up in, in powerful. It's still not as powerful as a rocket, but it certainly does a lot more damage. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, I will say, you do get the multiplier... Uh, when you use the other weapons as well, but only if they are if they bl do the the killing shot or the killing blow. So that's the key with the with the scoring, which we'll get into later. But but that's the key is that the the secondary weapon has to has to actually take out the target in order to get the multiplier. So it's easier to get that with the rocket. Um. But it is possible to strategically do it in such a way with the Vulcan or the cannon that you also get the multiplier. Yeah, as you said, the rocket has a high skill ceiling because you have to actively aim where you're at. And if you don't pay attention, it's, it can easily take out an enemy you don't want it to. So you sort of have to guide it in. <clears throat> right. However, the rewards you get from being proficient in the rocket, I believe, far outweigh anything else you'd want to use. Right. Like a lot of STGs from the era, you know, you start with three bombs 
that you get from the outset, and you get three bombs per life. Uh, you can get additional bombs, and so like the like the secondary weapon icon, some of the enemies that you destroy that give out power ups will also give out a large red bomb icon that will be distinct from the other ones. And that won't cycle like the others. It'll just always be a bomb. Yeah, and bombing is something that is encouraged in this game. It's not something that is thrown at you as much as in, let's say, Battle Gorega. However, it's actively encouraged, like the Stage 3 boss. That boss, if you fire out with your rocket and you clip one of the wings and then you light off a bomb and then clip the other one you can destroy it before it gets behind you and causes a lot of problems true it, it, it's always active always good to be keep using your bombs actively instead of as a get out of danger card right uh now we've already sort of talked about this but um basically the game gives you two primary control options and so you've got normal and you've got reverse so with normal when you move left and right the helicopter will the front of the helicopter will go the direction that you're moving so if you move to the right the helicopter will move to the right and also the front of the helicopter will will lean or you know swivel to the right and so that's the direction that you'll shoot uh, whereas with reverse, you'll do the opposite. So if you move the helicopter to the right, its front end will swing toward the left. And so as you move right, the the fire that you have will kind of swing to the left. For whatever reason, the reverse control seemed more normal or not normal. It seemed more intuitive to me. So that's why I kind of started that way. But you said that you went with normal. So I'm, I'm curious to, to know if you went with normal and then just stuck with it, or did you try reverse and then... I, I think you might have mentioned this before, but did you try reverse and it didn't feel right to you? Um, my problem was that I, I like reverse and I like normal. But by the time I tried reverse... I had gotten so used to normal that things felt a bit off. So I'm like, wait a second. And it made me have to think about every move instead of feeling intuitive. Uh -huh. So had I started with reverse, I think it would have been um, more normal or, or normal <laughs> than it felt. The uh, I did notice that when they did the STG Weekly long play, or long play, <laughs> STG Weekly uh, super play that... They, that he was playing reverse. So it seems to be the more popular choice. Yeah, and I think uh, I think as we go along and discuss participation through the month, I think our participants use uh, reverse as well. One thing to note about the game that I think is a little bit punishing is that there are no extends, no extra lives. So there are no score-based extends. There are no one-up pickups anywhere in the game. So what you see is what you get. And the lives that you start with are all that you have. Now, of course, in the Dreamcast version and in the HD versions, you can go in and bump up the number of lives, which is great for practice. But if you want to do a, 
a legit clear of the game, you have to really get good uh, so that you can basically get through the game with just the three lives that you're given. And if there's also the uh, Dark Souls get good mode where if you kill all your lives so you're just down to one life, you get a huge score bonus at the end of the stage because you only have one life. But <laughs> again, it's extremely hard to pass the game that way. Right. Yeah, and and that's my understanding is that uh, that also affects the rank. So there's a possibility that doing that, that you know, that losing the lives early actually makes the game somewhat easier. But I haven't tested that theory. So it'd be interesting interesting to go back and kind of mess around with that. Visually, or uh, in terms of the, the layout of the game, it has a bit of a skewed perspective. So think of a game like Raystorm or Ray Crisis where you... You're looking at the game from above, but also sort of behind it. So you get this sort of almost one quarter overhead kind of view from behind and above. Uh, and so, you know, everything looks sort of like you think of like a bowling alley where, you know, the lane is so wide where you're standing, but then it looks more narrow at the end, even though it's the same width. And so that's kind of the perspective that you have in the game. Which is interesting. Yeah, but I never felt like it was uh, overly, like, where did that come from? Which, you know, for for a unique perspective on here to always be able to identify the bolts on screen is credit to its development and the the language of the game. Right. Visually. Yeah. Yeah, I think it works well, and it's not, you know, I kind of use the bowling alley example, but it's not quite that pronounced. It's a lot more subtle than that. And so it, it definitely feels more more natural than you might think, uh, given that perspective. That The other thing about the perspective is, since a lot of the enemies in the game are ground-based enemies, so you've got tanks and turrets and you know various ground-placement-type weapons, the bullets don't reach you immediately, like in a more traditional shooting game. And so, as bullets are fired by enemies beneath you, those bullets will get a little bit larger as they come up, and they'll also change color from sort of a deeper orangish red to more of a lighter yellow-orange kind of color. And so once they reach that that sort of threshold of, of color change that's when they become dangerous to you. So it's an interesting way to sort of allow you to move through areas and deal with some of these bullets without necessarily having to dodge them the instant you see them, because there's a little bit of play there. At first, it might feel a little bit weird, but I think it's fairly intuitive once you kind of start to play the game a little bit and sort of get into it. Uh, At least I found it to be somewhat intuitive. Yeah, it definitely adds a little bit of a realistic aspect to it. Not everything's going to be coming at you at the same level, so if something was fired at you, it's still going to take a little bit before it reaches you. And that comes into play on the way that you're swinging around. It's 
And when you're thinking about everything that was dealt with and everything that was coming in here, have we started to deal with Ikaruga around this time and how Shmups were evolving in the rise of the Damaku? This is a very traditional Shmup. And it's very refreshing and it's something that feels very old school in the ways that we mentioned this earlier, Tiger Heli or uh, Twin Cobra. It's I wouldn't use the word relic, but it's definitely um, one of the last of its kind that we'd see for a long time. Yeah, and I was reading something that, that sort of said that the game did relatively well, but wasn't well-liked or, you know, was kind of not panned, but criticized for being kind of too old school, you know, or too basic or whatever. I kind of get that in the context of 2005 when this came out, particularly because, you know, by that time you'd had several releases from Cave. You know, we'd already seen games like Katsui and and, uh, Mushihime-sama and, you know, those kinds of games. So something like this probably felt like, at least for seasoned STG players might have felt like a bit of a step backward. My understanding is uh, in order to unlock the second loop, you have to have a 95% average destruction rate across the five stages. Uh, Did they... I know you you said Iconoclast reached the second loop on the STG weekly playthrough. Did did they mention that specifically? They said... uh they mentioned that I think 95% as well. But one of the things they did mention was that there was little things that were like red, white, and black. They almost look like flags that you have to kill in order to get the kill percentage up. And in order to, yeah, but your destruction rate must be at 95% or higher for all five stages in order to get to the second loop. Yeah. And I, I know when I was playing through, I managed to get 100% on stage one a few times. And maybe even 95 or 100% on stage two a couple of times. But past that, I don't think I got that high. I, I might have hit 85 or 90 in stage three. But yeah, stage four and five, when I was kind of practicing on those, there was no way. <laughs> you know, for a game that is very old in its sensibilities and play style, it really felt very cave when I started playing it. When I got to the stage two boss, and then I was like, "Wow, this feels very cave." It's a all of a sudden the game stage one lures you into false sense of security, and about halfway through stage two, it goes, "All right, I want that quarter now. You're done." <laughs> yeah. Well, and since the game only has five stages, it makes sense. Obviously, it has two loops, but yeah, it makes sense that it's going to ramp up the difficulty relatively relatively early one one thing that we've already kind of talked about is uh the hd version you mentioned the vertizontal and it has an arranged mode called new order and so instead of the tate orientation you have a full 16 by 9 widescreen mode and so what they do is basically they compensate for the widescreen by allowing your 
helicopter to rotate much further. Um, I would say maybe 25 to 35% or so more than what you rotate normally. And then, if, as you mentioned, the twin stick option. Now, that's available in both in both arcade uh, mode and New Order mode in the HD version. But I think it feels even more pronounced when you're playing New Order mode because of how much further you can rotate. And the New Order mode also has more enemies. And so, notably, in Stage 1, there's an area where you sort of go over this bridge, and then out from underneath of the bridge comes this huge tank with a you know, multiple cannons on the front. And in the new order mode, you get two of those at that spot. Or like there's a bunker at the end of stage one that has these four tanks that come out, two on each side. Uh, and in new order mode, it has six tanks. So two, uh, two sets of three, basically. And th different things like that. And, and so new order mode definitely has ups the challenge in that way. And then also it has its own uh, New Order soundtrack arrangement as well. So it brings a couple of different elements to the table. Yeah, and the one of the other things mentioned, we did mention the second loop, but the second loop is mirrored from the first loop and it has a couple different other different changes. And But it... I could just see how that would really mess with you. <laughs> you practice so much and all of a sudden you're... You're playing instead of going from left to right, the enemy's on the, or you're playing stage one and the enemy used to be on the right, now it's on the left. It could really just throw you for a loop. Yeah, that would definitely take some time to to properly route. I, I haven't seen the second loop. I, I'd be curious to know how much more, how much more insane it is. Well, what's interesting is stage four has the, uh, the snow, right? Yes. Yes, that's gone in loop two. Oh, interesting. And stage three is green and lush like stage one was, but stage one is now brown. There's, it's just, they play with the, with the palettes a little bit and stuff, but I think that there's suicide bullets at some stuff or that may be in dealing with the HD version stuff I have to check. There's, there are definitely some more differences than just palette. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, New Order Mode, I didn't spend a lot of time with it, but it almost feels like like it, they had the beginnings of a good idea, but it just wasn't quite implemented as well as it could have been. See, that's the thing with Vertizontals that I've come in across. I thought, oh, with Vassara, it was the first Vertizontal mode that I had tried. I was saying, oh, this looks cool. This is different. And then when you try it, you're like, this seems like a good idea, but in practice, it just sort of doesn't add up. And I, what they're trying to do is they're trying to come up with a ways to make use of the real estate screen for a white, for a 16 by 9 display and put it into something that you'd normally get by having a Tate or a rotated monitor. And it just doesn't feel the same. Right. Yeah, for, for Vasara, I understand that. And because it's multiplayer... That mode is multiplayer. It makes more sense. Kind of like how how it was that way with uh, Jamestown. Right. I, it felt more natural to me in Jamestown than with uh, 
Vassar of Vassara. Jamestown was always that way. Maybe it's because I, I, I don't know. It just struck me as odd. Yeah. To, where it felt natural in Jamestown. The other thing about the new order mode too is that everything feels so zoomed in. They took a slice of the vertical screen space and zoomed into that slice and said, "This is your, this is your view." Uh, and so it doesn't. It, it feels like they like they cheaped out and they didn't really approach it in a, a, a creative enough manner um, in order to really maximize what you could do with it. I think I, I get what they're going for because of the extra rotation and then adding the the twin stick control and so forth. But yeah, it just feels like a missed opportunity to me. Like they they should have done more with it or they should have considered maybe opening up the play field more and giving you more space to play with. I, I appreciate that it wasn't a tiny helicopter in a vast space because then I would have had the same problem that I had in in Jamestown where I felt like there's too much screen real estate, there's too much area to cover, I can't do this all. But I feel like this is the opposite problem where it feels too zoomed in, I don't have enough screen real estate to work with, or at, le at least it feels like I don't. Uh, and so neither worked for me very well. I feel like there's got to be a happy medium somewhere, but I don't think either game f has that for, for me, at least. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's a neat concept and something, an idea that should be explored, but I don't think that anybody has nailed it just right. It feels very prototype in the way that Goldeneye felt very prototype. I mean, it didn't at the time, but if you look back and see it golden goldeneye felt very prototype on the n64 controller we're at the cusp of getting to where the modern shooters would be with the, your twin sticks oh sure but we're not quite there yet with the with the vertizontal right good idea but the execution needs work yeah all right let's talk about them explosions <laughs> all right so the graphics are muted washed out and that it really fits with the military theme you know uh, it, it's definitely an evolution we dealt with if you're looking at something such as tiger heli which we covered i think it was uh it was two years ago now wasn't it? so uh, where everything was bright and colorful and everything it wasn't very uh pastel colors like you get with fantasy zone but it it's definitely more drab gives the world very lived in in fought overlook. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely had that dirty, dingy look to it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't vibrant, but it also wasn't dull. It just sort of, like you said, lived in. You know, it definitely looks like oh, these are these are real battlefields and real locations that people are 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 fighting in or fighting over. So it it uh yeah, it definitely, definitely has that look. You know, it reminds it's what you call, or what I've heard called the Star Wars effect, is prior to the original Star Wars. All sci-fi stuff, everyone was wearing the same one-piece jumpsuit, everything was immaculately clean, but Star Wars came along and things could were dirty, 
it was lived in and you see some stuff that was like held together by duct tape like the Millennium Falcon <laughs> you know that, that's sort of the evolution I see here where we're, we're going from the bright and colorful into something that's more realistic and lived in and feels more alive and natural yeah and boy does this game love its explosions I, I for all of our indie developed or dojin schmups could take a page out of this book with their explosions they're incredible oh yeah I mean, there are particle effects, you know, you get sparks flying and things like that, and, you know, bits of shrapnel and things, and the smoke, uh, you know, the rolling smoke that you get when you destroy larger enemies, or smoke trails behind missiles that fire from uh, enemy rocket launchers and things like that. And that smoke brings a stage 5 boss to a crawl during the second phase on the PS3. Oh, especially if it's in Tate, man, does it slow down? Well, or when you when you blow up the uh, uh, aircraft carrier, in or not aircraft carrier, but you know the big the uh, battleship. The battleship when you stage sink my battleship, so to speak, in stage two uh, as the boss, and then it sort of breaks in half after you take out the control tower. Holy cow! The smoke and you know, the rolling smoke and all that dissipating and everything. It's just a cool effect. It looks really good. And of course, you get slow down with that, uh, particularly if you're playing the Dreamcast version in, in Tate, uh, you get more slow down. But uh, yeah, it's it's impressive. That happens with the PS3 version as well. You get uh, slow down and even more so with the Tate and they, they showed an example where if, if you go out to the edge of the screen, it actually makes <laughs> on the stage, second phase of the Stage 5 boss within the SDG Weekly stream, it actually speeds up the game. It re- reminded me a lot of, of you know flashbacks of Gradius 3. <laughs> One thing we should mention, I don't think we mentioned this before, but your helicopter is relatively good size, but the actual hitbox of it is the rotor. So it's like the center of the rotor on the helicopter. And that's one thing that I appreciate, graphically speaking, is that instead of a a cave-style game where you've got a visible hitbox or a lot of more modern doge and shooters where the hitbox of your ship is, is painfully obvious because it's something that is there and visible and and it's made more obvious to you this does it in a way that is both obvious but also subtle so it's not it's not visually obtrusive but it makes sense you know it, it makes sense that your weak point is your rotor so you don't even necessarily have to think about it uh it just sort of it just sort of it, it's it's intuitive i guess is what i'm trying to say but this this game still looks really nice. The Dreamcast version that I was playing through most of the month, and of course I was playing in Tate, and I've got a I've got a VGA cable for my Dreamcast, and I'm going through the OSSC, and then I've got HDMI coming out of that into a splitter, and then that's going to my 24-inch monitor that I'm using for for Tate games. But even at just 480p. That looks really good, and uh, this is still a visually impressive title. So, kudos 
to G-Rev for what they were able to squeeze out of the Naomi and Dreamcast hardware. I completely have to agree regarding the hitbox on here. Odometius, this is not. <laughs> right. As far as the uh, visual styles of the Dreamcast versus the HD, the HD one has some more impressive stuff with like smoke and the particle. However, I prefer the look of the Dreamcast version. It just feels cleaner to me. And I, if I could get some of the visual improvements with the Dreamcast look, I would love it. But I think that for most people, they're going to go with the HD version just because of the price. Right. I mean, $20 for the Xbox Live version or 50 for the PS3 physical versus, you know, I don't know, what, $100 to $200 for the Dreamcast version now? Depending on where you get it, yeah. It's definitely worth it to play both and see what works for you. It's one of the ones where you... Really, both versions play pretty well, and they have their own offerings as far as graphics go. Here, did you did you prefer the Dreamcast, or did you prefer the um, HD remake for the graphics? Well, I definitely spent more time with the Dreamcast version, but yeah, I think I probably prefer it. I didn't try the, the HD version in Tate, uh, so I probably should at some point give that a try. It's about the same, it just has more slowdown. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely like the look of the Dreamcast version, and you know, I, I felt like it was a really good-looking game. Yeah, the point is, no matter which version you choose, you can't go wrong. Yeah. And speaking of can't go wrong, how about that sound? I mean, the explosions were incredible on here. The I know I'm going to mispronounce this, but the soundtrack by Shinji... Uh, Hosaway? Hosaway. Hosaway, thank you. <laughs> is incredible, and the arranged soundtrack there is probably my favorite on here. I just listened to that over and over again. It was sort of like Ketsui, where I could really pick either one and just enjoy it. You know, it's as DJ Psycho I won't say, hot beats. Right. Yeah. A hot jam, sorry. Yeah, hot jams. The arranged version of the soundtrack... It sort of reminds me a lot of the uh, Rev 2016 Perfect Mix, uh, or I think that's the right one, from Battle Garega that, uh, that we talked about uh, in the previous episode, where the composer basically just did a redux version of his own soundtrack that sounded a little bit fuller and more robust and just sort of beefed up. And this kind of is the same thing, where it's the, essentially the same tunes, but rather than, you know, the, the bass compositions just being what they are, they, they're just embellished a little bit more, and there's a little bit more guitar work, and you're not dealing with the limit of however much storage space you have for the ROMs in the arcade version. And so you, you can go a little bit, further with the with the sound of it and make it sound better and cleaner isn't really the right word but just fuller and more slightly more developed and it's a really yeah it's a really good uh it's a really good soundtrack i know there are there are several people who uh quite like this i know mark msx has said that this is one of his favorite shmup soundtracks and i also i know that uh Ed from Studio Mudprints has mentioned that on his streams a couple of times, 
that he loves this soundtrack. And I would have to agree, it's it's a great soundtrack and one that I am I am especially glad to own the Dreamcast version with the bonus CD because yeah, that that has that that I can, you know, can rip to my phone and and on my computer and stuff so that I can listen to that whenever I want because it's great music. The HD version with the New Order mode also has the New Order Arrange. And the interesting thing about that is it's only six tracks. So it's literally the five stage themes and then one additional track, which I think might be the the credit roll or something. I don't know. I haven't played... I mean, I didn't play through enough of it to know, but it feels like the New Order tracks are are meant to be very high energy because they feel like... I'm not going to say dance remixes of the existing tracks, but just a lot more electronic influence, a lot more high energy, but they're the same bass melodies and, and sound. And, you know, it varies from track to track. Stage 3, I think, sounds a lot closer to the source material than some of the others. But Stage 1 really feels like quite a a new take on the the music. Yeah, and there's that I- iconic, uh, All Your Bass Belong to Us. What's that? You know, you're talking about remixes on here, dance remixes. There's that iconic, All Your Bass Belong <laughs> to Us. <laughs> right. Not quite, not quite that level, but, but yeah, it's sort of in that general direction with definitely a lot more of a dance or club kind of feel. I I do think it's a good, a good mix. I still prefer the arranged sound, the original arranged soundtrack from the Dreamcast version, but I do think it's a good mix. Uh, It is curious though, that they didn't do an arrangement of the boss music. So once you reach this, the boss at the end of a stage, it doesn't switch to something else. It just continues to play that stage's arrangement. So even though I like the new mixes, that again feels like a bit of a missed opportunity that they could have maybe remixed the boss music as well and done something you know funky or, or interesting with that. So it, it feels a bit slight. Yeah, the type of music that you're referring to is something that I associate a lot more with European or Euro STGs, where you sort of get that dance or trance music. Sure. It's definitely interesting to see in a, in a Japanese-developed STG. I mean, it doesn't feel out of place. It just doesn't feel as strong an offering as the others. Yeah, but I... I guess I would like to also highlight the sound effects because I think there are some really good, solid sound effects in the game. <laughs> Particularly satisfying, besides the explosions, is uh, when you are when your meter is full and you can use your special weapon. Uh, I know the rocket is what I use the most, but when you go to fire it, you get that really satisfying sort of like a heavy. Uh, you know, cocking a gun kind of a thing sort of effect. Yeah, it sort of like gives you that feeling of <clears throat> holding the shotgun in Doom or the double-barreled shotgun in Doom Yeah, too. 
it makes you feel powerful. Yeah, yeah, and it's it definitely helps to to sort of I don't know it it, it just sort of takes you into that experience more. It helps with the immersion of the game. All the sound effects do. It's not like Steel Vampire where things felt overblown. Right. Everything has a weight to them, and there's nothing that feels like. I mean, you're not shooting your machine gun all of a sudden. You hear pew 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 pew. You know, it's it's just very well done. And you can tell thought was provided there. It nothing sounds out of place. There's not any crazy weird laser sounds or anything like that on there. It feels realistic and appropriate. And kudos to them for not making anything you know, that would destroy your ears either by making an overblown. Right. So. Let's let's talk about scoring a little bit here. There are a few different ways to kind of boost your score beyond just enemy destruction. Whenever whenever you take out one of the helicopters that that gives out the the weapon or secondary weapon icons, you know, they cycle between the three different types. And so, if you pick up one that matches what you already have, you get 5000 points. Again, we talked about this earlier, but if you take out enemies with your secondary weapon, you get a two times multiplier. So obviously with the rocket, that's easy because the rocket will take out basically anything in one hit. With other enemies, you need to make sure that the secondary weapon is actually doing the kill shot. And that's a little bit harder to do with the rock or the uh, cannon and the Vulcan. The other thing that I was doing with the rocket is ma- sort of maximizing that by by trying to either do enemy groupings uh, when you had the opportunity, or like for example in stage one, you know I mentioned that tank that sort of comes out that large tank that comes out from underneath the bridge. Well, if you let it go for a little while, uh, then shortly after that, three tanks come in from the side. And so if you can shoot the rocket up at that big tank, well, its area of effect and the explosion that it creates will take out not only the big tank, but will take out the three smaller tanks at the same time. Uh, Or in stage two, when you're fighting the battleship, you've got two of these large turrets on the ship that have three uh, barrels each, and they'll shoot out these large fireball things that will then explode into uh, large sort of clusters of bullets. Well, if you can if you can do it right where you can use your main machine gun to damage one of those turrets quite a bit uh, and get it to where it's sort of flashing and sparking a little bit, then you use your then you charge your rockets and shoot at another one of those cannons that's right next to it generally the resulting explosion will take both of them out and then you'll get that two times multiplier for for both of those at the same time yeah it's a little bit like the bowling analogy you pulled out earlier right you want to for the most part group your enemies up and then shoot it down the middle with a rock in order to uh, <clears throat> hit the weak spot for, for massive damage to use a bad uh, <laughs> analogy here or to, to to hit the uh, basically hit a strike it's all about lining up your shot and making sure you shoot down the middle and hit what you're aiming for that's what the rock is and that's how the pretty much the basis of scoring in this game yeah 
I think if you wanted to tackle the game with the cannon or the Vulcan as your secondary weapon of choice, that would require a lot more precise routing. And I kind of saw that in someone who was streaming the game for a little while, using the Vulcan right off the bat and sort of starting at a certain point and then sort of letting the item follow you. Because that's something we didn't really talk about, but when you fire or when you activate the secondary weapon, not only does it activate in the direction that you're facing, but also for the Vulcan or the cannon, it will sort of follow your helicopter around. So you'll get a, a little red targeting reticle that you'll see on an enemy when you're lined up with them and your meter is charged or you're in the process of firing that weapon. Uh, and so that's how you target ground-based enemies with your secondary weapon. And so with the Vulcan or the cannon, it will sort of auto-target stuff that is in between its position and where you're at on screen. Or if there's nothing in between, it'll sort of move to your position so that it can target whatever is in front of you. So I think if you're going to tackle the game with the cannon or with the uh, Vulcan, it's going to require a lot more precise routing than what you would have to do with the rocket, I think. Well, certainly it w the rocket makes the stage two boss a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. And even with, I mean, even with the stage three, we talked about <clears throat> by hitting the airplane wings on there, you can avoid a lot of the tough segments entirely that way. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other scoring, you also get an end stage bonus, and that's based on several factors. You've got your destruction rate, like we said, a percentage uh, calculation based on enemies and scenery that you've destroyed, and those flags that you mentioned. Uh, but then I guess in stage three and beyond, there are friendly units. So like in stage three, you start to see tanks from your own side. And I guess there are opportunities to save some of those or to protect them somehow by quick-killing enemies. So that can contribute toward that percentage. And then it, it starts at a, a two-times multiplier on stage one, and then it goes to three times on stage two and four times on uh, stage three, etc. So it sort of becomes more important as you go along. There's a deal that the HD version calls fuel conservation, which is basically just how much time do you have left on the boss because the there is a timer. Uh, your livestock, which we kind of mentioned uh, earlier, that you said you know if you if you go down to just one life, then you get a huge bonus for basically being playing dangerously, <laughs> so to speak. And then the bomb stock you mentioned earlier that the game encourages you to bomb. But I would say if you're playing for score, then you shouldn't bomb or you should try to bomb very conservatively because you get 10,000 bonus points for every bomb that you have in stock. And they call that ammunition conservation in the HD version. Yeah, I think you get at least two bombs per every stage. I think that's about right. Right. Yeah, I think... I think you're right. I think in each stage, there's an opportunity to pick up two additional bombs. So, and I don't remember if your bomb stock maxes out at six, or if it allows you to go beyond that. 
I I used bombs enough that I never got above that. But I think that might be a thing where there's a maximum amount you can carry. I don't recall for sure. So anyway, the scoring isn't isn't nearly as complex as uh, as a cave game, but certainly there's more to more to think about than than some of the earlier shooters that this game was probably inspired by. You know, the Twin Cobra or Tiger Heli type of games. You know, certainly there's there's more going on here score-wise than what some of its inspiration was doing. Yeah, it's definitely more going on than your standard SCG of the day. However, there, it's not something where you're going to have to have a, a table or pie chart or <laughs> something to look up <laughs> like your standard cave game. Right. Yeah, you don't have to have a... You don't have to have a, a a bachelor's degree in math to understand the scoring in this game. No, I will leave all that to Mark. <laughs> all right. Well, we do have a couple of thoughts from the RFGen community. Zoido didn't actually post in the forum during the month, but I, I know he shared some stuff and some screenshots in the Discord. Uh, and... Uh, so he mentioned getting to stage three and said, uh, he said, you still have some serious trouble trying to keep track of everything that's going on on screen while trying to shoot in the right direction. And yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the, the biggest early hurdle that you have with the game, trying to come to grips with shooting in one direction versus just moving left and right and shooting in front of you. Uh, it definitely adds a different element that makes the game more strategic, but also is something that you sort of have to get used to. That brings up an interesting point. Could you imagine if they took something like Galaga or Space Invaders and added that element where you had to you move left, you, you, your ship moved to, let's say, inverse, your ship moved to the right and pointed, and you could fire that way? basically give the game angles that would be an interesting take on that yeah we sort of saw that in the in the atari era you know the the first generation uh and we kind of talked about this a little bit with the game like spider fighter where when you shoot bullets out and then you're moving your ship left and right the bullet trajectory sort of follows where you're moving on screen so it doesn't necessarily just go after you fire it and then you move left and right and it goes straight up, it sort of follows your movement. Uh, so you sort of saw some of that in that era. And I don't know how much of that was on purpose and how much of that was just a consequence of hardware limitations that they either couldn't program around or decided not to bother with. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was playing the new uh, Space Invaders that just came out. And on the PS4 and use the Arkanoid mashup. Oh yes, with Space Invaders, just it seems really well done and not something that you'd seen before. And I, I especially liked using the PS4's uh, touchpad in order to play it. It was interesting that the uh, one for the Switch was handheld only and used the touch functionality on the Switch. Right. Yeah, you, you actually had to use the, the flip grip in order to play it but it was just sort of little innovations like that that i keep seeing that make me think of different ways to do it is that's how the your standard stg for the most part is going to come across and get new people i don't think that anyone's ever going to sit down and go our type wow this looks really exciting i, I you know i i get our type of 
standard SDGs are an acquired taste in this day and age. Right. It's something that you, that you have to get used to and, and have a palate, build up a palate for where your Don Maku or your Toho is going to be the entryway. Yeah. And, and it's just with this type of game, I think this is more one of those acquired tastes that we you get people interest, interested in when, after they've been accustomed to playing shooters or SDGs. Right. So, I, yeah, I, I fully get it. And I, I think it's a neat mechanic or gimmick or whatever you want to call it. But it definitely does take get some getting used to. And it's different enough than most of the standard SDGs. So I could get where Zoido's coming from. Sure. Alright, our next one comes from the ever-voiceress, the ever-vocal, the geriatric Dramaku. The musical soundtrack for Under Defeat deserves more special recognition, I agree. Totally rocking tracks from Shinji Jose. Please don't make me pronounce that right. (laughs) (laughs) Music from Under Defeat has been in my car audio pretty much continuously since a copy of the game arrived in 2006. Then I went out and downloaded the boss tracks because those are not included on the soundtrack CD. The CD also includes versions composed to be played back on the Dreamcast Music Synthesizer. No need to provide your own music, the game has you covered. I was, well, jealous of the PlayStation 3 port after Game Boy Guru played it a couple times the verdict is in complete disappointment. Looks to be only 30 frames per second, appears to pull inputs at only at that rate and has additional input lag. Can anyone comment on the Xbox 360 version? From what I what I have been told and what I have seen, the Xbox 360 version is definitely does not have the uh, slowdown or the the problems that the PS3 port does. As we talked about earlier, though, it's either digital or it is Japan only. And most of the people who are playing it and playing it to quote unquote get good are using Japanese 360 in the Japanese version. Yeah, I'd be curious about the 30 frames per second thing, too, because you wonder, since the PS3 port uh, is essentially a conversion of the Xbox 360 version, I'd, I'd be curious to know if the 360 version plays at 30 FPS, or if that's just a consequence of a sloppy port to the PS3. Only one way to find out. We each get to order an Xbox 360 from Japan and a copy of the game and call it research. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds great. That's what I tell my wife. It's research. It's research. <laughs> right. I, I think that's what Mark tells his wife, too. Honey, I'm not pressing the button and spending all this money. What do you recall this? I don't This new microphone and all this stuff. This is all for research. Right. Everyone has to know the lag for this. Uh, good stuff. Well, high scores. I don't know if it's just because these were the only ones that were submitted, but I actually had the high score for the month. For once, I actually managed to beat Zoido. <laughs> uh, so I topped out at 880,440 points. Zoido had 622,510, and Geriatric Don Maku was not far behind with 572,810 points. So it seems like, uh, you know, we were all kind of in the same general area. I, 
I managed to to get some good score bonuses somewhere along the way. Uh, I don't exactly know how it was. I'll have to go back and look and see if maybe I maybe I died earlier in the game and then ended up getting that extra bonus for having less lives or something. But uh, I was I was actively trying to play in such a way that I could get that 2x multiplier as frequently as possible. So I was definitely tackling it from a from a scoring perspective. We always call that the crimson closer approach, right? Right. Always be breaking. Indeed. Yeah, always be always always be firing your rockets. <laughs> Something like that. Doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily. No, it's not as catchy. <laughs> well, speaking of things that are catchy on here, what are your thoughts of the game? I quite like this game. You know, the the look, the aesthetic, the the general approach, the overall feel, the soundtrack and the and the sound effects, everything just kinda adds up to, to be real nice. I I know what you were saying before about how you feel like the game isn't quite there or or maybe falls apart a little bit because of the secondary weapon system. It would have been interesting if they would have somehow made it a three-button game so that you could switch between them, you know, or or maybe a thing where you have to collect all of the all of the weapons with icons in order to equip your helicopter with those and then maybe give you a button to switch between them. That would have been a cool feature, I think, if they would have implemented something like that in the arrange mode. That certainly would have given it more legs. But I do think only having one or two opportunities per stage to switch out your weapons really means that either you have to pick one and stick with it, like you said, or you have to be more strategic about it and say, well, for this stage, you know, I want to use this special weapon because it's going to make it easier for me to, you know, get through and, and manage these sections better. But then when I get to this portion or when I, you know, take out this helicopter toward the end of the stage, then maybe I'll switch to rockets to make the boss easier or, or whatever. I think it works well enough. And I feel like my progress with the game during the course of the month was good enough that I could see myself getting at least a first loop clear. I don't know if I would ever want to dedicate the time to trying to clear the second loop, but I feel like a first loop clear on normal is doable and something that I that I would want to go for. I mentioned someone was streaming the game, and while while uh, not participating officially with us, uh, EC was streaming the game. Emperor, what is it? Emperor ING360 on Twitch was streaming the game earlier in the month and um, managed to get a clear uh, during the month while we were playing it. And so, congrats for getting the clear. But, um, you know, EC had been working on that for quite some time. So I think this is one that if I continue to kind of hammer away at it, I think I could probably, I could probably manage a first loop clear without 
too much additional pain and suffering because I really felt like my initial wall was the stage two boss because I just got overwhelmed and I was trying to do it without bombing. And that was, that's my downfall. Once I started bombing that boss, uh, I, I, I got way better at it and managed to reach stage three pretty regularly. I got a decent strategy for the stage three boss. I didn't quite get the strategy that you mentioned. So you, so you like Dr. Strangelove learned to stop worrying and embrace the bomb. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I guess to summarize, I really like this game and I could see myself continuing to play it. I haven't taken it out of the Dreamcast yet and I plan on putting a little bit more time into it. Yeah, I echo a lot of those sentiments. I think for me the game would fall if I were to give it a letter grade at a B plus. It's very close to an A, but it's got enough things that just hold it back a little bit to keep it from being a total package. It's nothing, anything major. It's just that I wish that they would have balanced out, as I mentioned earlier, the secondary weapon systems. So there's a little bit more use in those. I personally didn't find anything besides the rocket to be worthwhile. There, It just felt like it didn't make an impact or difference. As you suggested, maybe cycling through the weapons would be good, or maybe having different levels of the weapons. Like if you get the same power-up instead of adding to the score, maybe it goes from level 1 to level 2 to level 3. Mm. And by that time, that's another way of taking care of I, but at the same time, this being one of G-Rev's sort of games in there, I don't think that... I, I I just don't know if there was enough development time or this type of thing with Foster. I mean, this is before the rise of the indies, right? It, had this been an indie-developed title for Xbox Live, which this came on 06, right? So a couple more years and you have Xbox Live, I bet you they would have been clamoring over this. Sure. To release this in the West... And so I, I think a little bit it was a victim of the time and what was on there. It's almost like a swan song from the Dreamcast and some of the that the shooters were released. It's almost at a game I would give no hesitation to recommend to versus I, I'd give a recommendation, but there would just be a small but. But I, I love the fact that it's, everything's visually distinct. The music is incredible. I, I just get hung up with the way that the variety of the op for a game that gives you a lot of choice and the ways that you can control it, that part just feels astounding. And maybe it's because the game is so well made that that stands out for me. Yeah. And I think the, I think the big caveat to recommending the game, particularly for someone who wants to make a purchase is obviously Xbox 360 is going to be digital only unless you have a, a Japanese 360 or uh, one that's been modded. The PS3 version is nice to have, and for more casual play, it's probably fine, but I don't know that I would recommend it for, for serious play. And of course, the Dreamcast version, I would still consider relatively definitive, but that's a more expensive proposition. You know, I got a yeah, the, I got a good deal on my special edition copy, but yeah, you frequently see it for well over a hundred bucks online. 
you know, I would place in the PS3 version of Under Defeat in the same area I would place in the PS3 version of Ketsui. It is nice. It's something fun to play, and a lot of people will have fun with it. But if you want to get serious on it, you're going to need to find a different version. Yep. I mean, the uh, one of the things we didn't cover in here, because I know it's a little bit um, past either of our skill levels at this point in time, but I was really impressed by the stage four fortress boss. Have you? Did you have a chance to see that boss in action? Oh yeah, I I uh, I credit fed through the game as we kind of went through the month just to sort of practice some of the later stages, and uh, and that's kind of a neat. You know, I'm talking about the spotlight, right? Yeah, that spotlight was a neat effect. Yeah, that was a cool where, effect. It basically lighthouses the player and blinds them, into, and you're just sort of firing blindly at it until you can destroy it and then you can destroy the rest of the enemy or with the as stg weekly love to call it the saving private ryan or shmup films uh, intro to stage five where the sound effects aren't there but the music is playing giving you sort of a like th- this is the final stage and we're going to let you know and it, it pulls through in the the end of the stage five boss and the way it shoots the bullets backwards right which are a pain in the butt to do, deal with. It, it, it there's just a, a lot of neat ideas. A lot of it, it comes together for the package. I I just wish it would fix the small little things that bug me from there. And I think because of the whole rest of the game is put together so well that it's it, those stand out to me. Sure, that makes sense. And, and yeah, I I. I highly recommend it for someone who's looking for a modern take on a standard STG. I have yet to find something that stands up as well or redefines it. I think maybe R-Type Final would be the closest I could put with this for something that plays old school but still holds modern ideas and holds up well. I'm trying to think of any... Maybe Gradius 5 is close, but Gradius 5 feels... I don't think does enough with the formula to change it up. There, it's a very well-made game, and I love it. But I, I don't think it does enough to distinguish itself from, let's say, Gradius Four, Three, or Two. Right? It's more more of an extension than, than it is trying something different. Th- this, with the way that it, the helicopter moves and holding on the buttons, feel, feels like its own unique thing. And I, I, I'm hard pressed to come up with any. STG that that feels like this in the modern era. Yeah, I can see that. Now, someone go out there and build me though that uh, afterburner control scheme. We'll use it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, what do we got coming up next? Well, we're going to make the most of this lousy smart weather by playing Demonizer. Indeed. This is a title that. Mark recommended and brought to at least to my attention and I he he loves him some thick sprites and the sprites on this definitely remind me of sort of like a forgotten in time Windows 98 STG something that would fit akin more towards um, like in between Raptor and Tyrion 2000 something uh, uh, lost of that era and really been having fun with the mechanics on here. He's got some interesting ideas with the uh, drunk mode. Oh, right. There and, and the game, 
out of the gate, it, it really it has its distinct style, and the music's been good. I've been enjoying the game. I haven't had any standard issues with these type of games where you know a bullet comes out of nowhere. It's frantic, and it's or starts. It's frantic, but it's a frantic type of fun, and I'm certainly having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert, the music is really good. And then in April, we are going to be doing another indie STG. Uh, this is a horizontal shooter called Veritra. And I don't know a whole lot about this other than this also recently got an updated version on the EXA arcade hardware. And so it's been released as Veritra Hexa on that system but we'll be playing the PC version. Unless you can justify it to your wife as research. <laughs> right. That would be mighty expensive research. Hey, maybe Galloping Ghost will get it. You never know. That would be sweet if they eventually ended up with the, the EXA hardware. All right. We'd like to thank everybody for listening and everyone who participated this month as well as... Studio Mudprints slash Bolt Heaven for the logo. Kogasu for the intro and outro music. Everyone at RF Generation, the RF Generation Playcast and Collector Cast. I'd like to thank Metalfro for streaming the Shmup Game of the Month and providing us with many hours of Chihuahua entertainment. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at GameboyGuru. Uh, join RFGeneration.com. It is free. And uh, come join us for a Shmup Club playthrough. You can also participate by uh, tweeting at us on uh, on Twitter or joining in on the Discord. And uh, that is linked directly from RFGeneration.com's front page. And uh, we have our own Shoot the Core cast topic that is there in the in the RF Generation ch uh, channel, so you can post your screenshots or share thoughts on the game there. Uh, also, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. We are in uh, several places. You can find all of those at our Linktree site. That is uh, linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. And also follow me on Twitch to get notifications of streams and watch me stream the Shmup of the Month. Uh, excuse me, the Shmup of the Month. Uh, that is twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. Anything else that uh, we need to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, really quickly, uh, the Wingdiver Shmup is on sale right now on Steam for two bucks. So grab it while you can because it may be a future uh, playthrough. Yes, and with that, I will just say. E-D-F! 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 <laughs> Alright, well thanks everybody for listening and we will check you again next month.